Welcome to Purdue Commercial AgCast, the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture's podcast featuring farm management news and information. I'm your host, Jim Minter, Director of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture. And joining me today are Nathan Thompson, who's an Associate Professor of Ag Economics here at Purdue, along with Michael Langemar, who's a Professor of Ag Economics and also the Associate Director of the Center for Commercial Agriculture. Today, we're going to talk about the corn and soybean outlook in light of USDA's acreage report was released this afternoon on June 30th. And you know, as you look at the data, um, the acreage estimate came in on the low end of expectations. In fact, it was below almost all the analyst, analyst expectations. Um, it's just a little over, I think, 92.6 million acres. So surprising number. Uh, as you look at the change relative to the March report, um, I think one of the interesting things about it was, was the uh, Decline that we saw in several states, so Nebraska, Iowa, Missouri, all came in below their March estimate. Uh, Eastern Corn Belt states came in above, and Michael, I'm gonna ask you to talk about that in just a minute. And then as you look at the upper Midwest, uh, we've been talking about this really all winter and spring, um, large acreage increases in North Dakota, South Dakota, and Minnesota, uh, when you look at the corn side. So Michael, what do you make of that? Well, I think the I think the Eastern Corn Belt change was not that surprising, uh, given the fact that we did see some uh, strength in corn prices uh, compared to soybean prices as we got close to planting. And so I think uh, I think what happened is corn was a little was was more competitive uh, when we got close to planting compared to the the prospective plantings, which was of course a early March estimate. And so I, I wasn't real surprised about the Eastern Corn Belt. Uh, certainly, I wasn't expecting quite as big a changes in North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, Minnesota. Uh, they, they were up considerably uh, from the prospective plantings, uh, you know, up, up anywhere from six to nine percent uh, higher than, than than the March estimate. Yeah, to me, what was a little surprising about that was the dryness we've experienced up there, and people still decided to plant corn. Um, Obviously, they have the ability to get in there and plant from a standpoint of not being too wet, which has been the problem more recently up there in, in like, for example, 2019, to some extent, 2020. Uh, but, but that was a surprise. Um, the other thing that was a surprise was sorghum acreage. And again, Michael, I think you've brought this up a couple of times. You were actually expecting to see an increase in soybean acre, sor sorghum acreage uh, in the Great Plains states. And boy, that did not materialize at all. That certainly did not materialize. Uh, Sorghum planted acres were, were quite a bit below uh, the, the industry expectations. Yeah, way below. In fact, if you look at it on a state-by-state -state basis, Kansas, which historically is one of the biggest uh, uh, sorghum producers, down 11%. Uh, Oklahoma is a smaller producer, but still down about 10%. Nebraska down almost 7%. So those were uh, all surprises, I guess, especially that Kansas number kind of surprised me. Um, and as you mentioned, well below analyst expectations. So, you know, if, if you think about that, I think what's going on here is we picked up a little bit of corn acreage, not a lot, just a little, certainly less than people were expecting. And what that probably means is from here on out, we're going to be talking a lot about crop conditions and potential yield. And so far, USDA has just been using kind of a trend line yield. They'll probably do that, I think, on their upcoming report that's released in mid-July, and then they'll start moving to uh, estimates that are actually based on some field-based uh, surveys. So crop conditions, uh, Michael, what do you make of the crop conditions? 
Well, the crop conditions from the U.S. standpoint are, are not that bad. I mean, we got, we're looking at about 65% uh, rated good to excellent with some particularly strong uh, ratings in Illinois, Illinois and Indiana. Indiana's above last year and above the five-year average. But when you get that into North Dakota, South Dakota, and Minnesota, the ratings are, are very low uh, compared to the U.S. average. In all of those states, they're below 50% of the crop good to excellent. And you get down into South Dakota for corn, for example, and you're only at 25%, uh, with North, North Dakota right at 40%. And it's important to point out that 18 million acres are represented by North Dakota, South Dakota, and Minnesota. And so close to 20%, if not 20% of the U.S. corn acreage is in those three states with some really poor ratings uh, so far this year. Uh, that's a good point, Michael. And, and again, it's one that we've sort of been pointing out as we've gone through the spring. I think the market has been reluctant to put too much weight on that because growing conditions early in the season can be rectified with some timely rainfall. We're in that time of year where our crops in those states are going to need timely rainfall here these next few weeks. So the next roughly four weeks or so, maybe six weeks, but certainly four weeks, um, going to be pretty critical with respect to crop development in that part of the country. And as you point out, a lot of acres. And it's a particular, particularly large concern for corn. Uh, you know, corn's going to, you know, that July, that July period is critical for corn. And, and if this continues, uh, we're going to see some, we're going to see some lower yield estimates for those states. The other thing I think the market's going to be paying attention to is what's going on with the heat on the West Coast and whether or not that starts drifting towards the Great Plains in the upper Midwest. Um, so far, they haven't been hammered by that kind of heat. Uh, I think the market's going to pay a lot of attention to that. Um, on the soybean side, you know, again, soybean acreage really didn't change hardly at all on this report relative to the March planting intentions. And that meant the acreage came in well below estimates. Um, I think it was below any of the and industry analysts that were surveyed before the report. Uh, so that's really two reports in a row that soybean acreage has been smaller than, than people were expecting in the trade. Um, and if you look at where the changes in soybean acreage were in this report versus the March report, and there were some state-by-state -state changes, um, we kind of mentioned this earlier, you know, we boosted corn acreage in the upper Midwest those same states, with one exception, pulled back on soybean acreage. So we had smaller soybean acreage on this report than what we had on the intentions uh, in South Dakota, in Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin, Nebraska, and even extending down into Kansas. And then you look at the Eastern Corn Belt. And again, you mentioned earlier, Michael, that we had the boost in corn acreage. It came right out of soybeans, right? Yeah, Indiana still is still uh, uh, projected to have more soybeans than corn, but certainly that that gap narrowed. Uh, one of the things that I think in, in South Dakota and Minnesota, let's return to those those two states uh, that are having dry conditions. It seems like uh, to some extent uh, uh, producers substituted uh, corn for soybeans, and so they they reduced soybean acres and increased corn acres. Uh, as you indicated, the exception there is North Dakota. Uh, North Dakota increased both corn and soybean acres. And for that matter, we're not talking about wheat uh, uh, too much today, but they also increased uh, wheat acres. And so uh, and so because of the drier conditions, they were able to get their crops planted uh, this year, where other years they, they've had more problems with that. And so and so we're looking at a record soybean acreage uh, in North Dakota. Uh, and if you, if you combine those three states, North Dakota, South Dakota and Minnesota, you're looking at 20 million acres 
uh, slightly over 20 million acres. And so approaching 25% of all U.S. soybean acreage is in those three states. And again, uh, the ratings on the soybeans in those three states are, are very low, particularly for North Dakota and South Dakota. So we had a sharp reaction to the reports today. Uh, USDA released not only the acreage report, but also a grain stocks report. Uh, corn up, uh, July up 25, but the uh, September and December contracts up 40 cents. Uh, soybeans up, uh, I think on uh, what, July and August up 90 cents, November up 86 cents. Um, so really interesting in terms of the impact that we saw with respect to uh, what's taking place there. And, and that reaction, um, not unexpected, I guess, given what took place in the reports, but boy, it sure points out in spades what kind of volatility we're experiencing in these markets, right? This has been bouncing back and forth uh, for several weeks now. Uh, really interesting with respect to what's taking place there. Um, and again, looking at the crop condition rating, Michael, you know, you kind of mentioned this again, but as you look at the middle part of the Corn Belt, the Central Corn Belt, the Eastern Corn Belt, crop conditions look pretty good. The problems all seem to be in the upper Midwest. And and I guess, you know, a lot of our listeners are probably aware of some of the rainfall patterns that took place over the weekend and, and uh, maybe weren't picked up in things like the drought monitor. But as you look at it, uh, some of those regions, at least based on the reports I've been able to pick up, didn't get very much moisture out of some of the storms that were moving through. So even though here in eastern India or west central Indiana, we've gotten a lot of rain here. Um, you know, parts of Illinois have gotten a lot of rain. Missouri's got a lot of rain. There's still some dry spots out there, right? So uh, we'll certainly have to keep our eye on North Dakota, South Dakota, and Minnesota. And and if anything, the crop ratings for soybeans are actually worse in those three states than they are for corn. And so and so. Uh, Again, they represent a substantial uh, proportion of the of the U.S. acreage, and so and so the, the market will certainly be watching weather uh, in those three states. So, if you look at ending stocks projections, and of course, USDA did not update their supply and demand estimates today. They'll do that in mid July when they release the updated World Ag Supply and Demand Estimates report. But if you take the balance sheet and simply plug in today's acreage estimates and then hold everything else constant. In other words, use the same yield estimate, use the same demand projections that USDA had uh, last month. It pushes the ending stocks for the 2021 crop up about 1% compared to what the trade was expecting uh, coming into the report. So coming into the report, USDA was projecting ending stocks at the end of the 2021 marketing year, which would be the end of August of 2021 excuse me, end of August of 2022, uh, they were at about 9.3%. Today's report suggests that's gonna bump up to a little bit over 10% to about 10.4%. So about a 1% move. Still a pretty tight stocks situation in corn uh, relative to what the, maybe the trade was expecting coming in today. Um, if you look at what's been going on with respect to exports, I know a lot of people are paying a lot of attention to that. Uh, if you look at cumulative exports here through last week, um, through the third week of June, we've exported about 78% of USDA's projection for the 2020 crop year. Um, and obviously a big chunk of that going to China. I think uh, uh, total exports to all destinations so far, about 2.2 billion bushels, about 600, roughly 670 million bushels of that going to China. 
And we have continued to move some corn to China here in, in the month of June. I think we picked up over the last couple of weeks about 67 million bushels. A lot of questions with respect to what's going on there. China came out with an announcement here recently indicating that their hog herd is back to the pre-African swine fever uh, problem uh, in terms of the size of the industry. That suggests strong demand for corn in China, uh, not only from domestic sources, but from uh, uh, for corn imports. So it's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, hog prices in the US have suffered recently with a announcement and expectation maybe of weaker pork exports. So you could see some offsets there on the US side, but nevertheless, uh, that suggests maybe it's continued strength with respect to what's taking place um, in the export channel on the corn side anyway. Uh, Nathan, uh, you've taken a look at some marketing alternatives and taken a look at what's going on with basis. And there's been some swings here. Uh, the last time we talked about this, of course, was on our last webinar in mid-June. And we've seen some changes over just these last few weeks, not only in the future side, but also on the basis side. So you might elaborate on what, what's taking place there. Yeah, so you know, you you already alluded to the fact that you know futures had a pretty strong response uh, this afternoon to the report with with corn up uh, forty cents, soybeans up somewhere in the eighty or ninety cents range, depending on on what contract you're looking at. Um, on the basis side of things, you know, there, there's also been a response, and so thinking through you know what's happening uh, on the cash market side as it relates to the response to the report. Uh, obviously, you know, there's the futures component, but here we want to take a second and think about basis. And so, you know, as you as you look at basis uh, over the last several weeks, uh, starting off with corn, you know, it's kind of been uh, showing some signs of weakening. Maybe the last couple of weeks, uh, we've seen a little bit of strength there uh, or, or kind of firming of that. But I think following the report, you know, it's a little tricky. You got to make sure that, that we're looking at um, kind of an apples and apples comparison with what those cash bids are, you know, what they're using as their reference uh, future price and what you compare to, you know, if you're looking at, for example, the, the Center for Commercial Ag's crop basis tool. But, you know, when you look at it and you make some apples apples comparisons, it definitely looks like there's some some positive uh, strength in in the basis side and on the cash market side of things. In addition to the the positive uh, response that was on the future side, which again sets up for uh, some pretty favorable cash price opportunities for corn right now. And so I think that you know for for people that maybe thought they missed their chance uh, here over the last couple of weeks, where we've seen a pretty big dip in prices. Uh, we definitely have seen a rebound, you know, as it relates to, to looking out beyond, you know, the, the, the near term and just thinking what's going to happen the rest of the summer. It's really hard uh, to say, right? From a forecasting point of view, we talk about this all the time for basis. When we get into the summer months, it, it can just really go in any direction. It's very unpredictable for uh, a variety of reasons. A lot of what we're experiencing now, whether it's weather or whether it's, you know, these sorts of report impacts that we, we see play out. And so, you know, we, we've talked about some kind of thresholds, you know, pull out some comparable years from a stocks to use uh, point of view and look at what basis did in the summer of those months. Um, and, you know, you can do that. And I think that those are still some, some uh, useful exercises for thinking about what's gonna happen here over the near term. But as far as making a prediction or, or building an expectation of basis here over the, the you know, next month or two, I think it's, it's really difficult uh, to, to figure out if we're gonna see one of these really big bumps uh, in those cash prices, or if we're gonna see that kind of, um, you know, uh, start to, to soften and revert to maybe what we would expect to see 
uh, in the fall? Well, it's probably going to depend a lot on what takes place with respect to one growing conditions and the secondly, maybe exports, right? Sure. Uh, the growing conditions are going to be huge these next few weeks. And so, and, and, you know, you've researched this quite a bit over the last several years. And, you know, one of the things that's come out of that research is it's pretty clear when you get into this July and August timeframe, you can't forecast with any degree of reliability. And the reason is because of some factors of influencing basis that you really can't anticipate very well, right? So um, for listeners that are thinking about, you know, should I hang on to some raining um, old crop inventories um, to try and capture an improvement in basis and, and potentially an improvement in, in futures prices, that's okay. But just recognize it's a pretty risky move, right? It's, it's very unpredictable, but it could get wild um, as we've seen a couple of years in the past, right? And that uh, August timeframe, if it looks like the crop's in trouble, it looks like we've got some strong export demand, um, you know, we could see a pop take place. And this is this is kind of setting up for that potential, but recognize that the risk is it won't happen, right? It, there's no guarantee that's going to happen. It could happen. We're kind of setting up for it a little bit, but uh, I wouldn't get too excited about it. And of course, you know, we've got an additional factor stepping in here that we didn't have in those prior years, and that is what's taken place with respect to uh, the recovery in the U.S. economy relative to the pandemic. And that's made it even harder to forecast what's going to happen. So uh, recognize that there, there is that kind of risk. So you mentioned if you thought you missed your chance to sell at some profitable, from very profitable prices, uh, cash prices at a lot of locations in Indiana today after the report came out are now uh, plus or minus right around that $7 mark, right? And then as you looked at uh, fall futures, you kind of took a look at that and maybe compare that to what you had just a few weeks ago. Yeah, so, you know, when we do uh, our uh, kind of normal Outlook webinars, we usually try to give folks a little bit of an idea of uh, what, what new crop uh, futures are doing and what that means in terms of kind of new crop marketing opportunities. And so, you know, uh, the, the we, we've seen some pretty pretty negative um, movement in in futures markets, you know, between now and, and maybe two weeks ago when we did our last webinar, um, and so what we saw today in that positive response uh, uh, in terms of corn markets, we've got um, you know new crop corn futures basically back to where they were, maybe even a little stronger uh, than what they were on the day that we did our webinar. I think that was June 14th, so about two weeks ago. Um, and so today we've got uh, new crop corn futures closing at $5.88. Again, if you make an adjustment uh, for an expected fall basis in central Indiana, 15 cents under, that puts you at a cash price of $5.73. And so again, you know, we've seen a ton of volatility um, you know, basically since the, the turn of the year, we've been up, down, up, down, but in particular here, you know, in the, the late spring and early summer months, we've just been um, really kind of on this roller coaster ride. And so if, if you potentially missed uh, or felt like you missed an opportunity as it related to some new crop marketing opportunities, the rally that we saw today certainly uh, made up for at least the losses that we've seen the last couple of weeks, which uh, maybe gives people a chance to to kind of uh, go back in and, and make some new crop uh, marketing decisions where they wish they had a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it puts those new crop uh, bids uh, in the ballpark where they have been for a good bit of the spring, right? We've seen a lot of bids um, in that five, roughly maybe 570 to about 585, 590 range, depending on your location and the, and the day you choose to pick. 
to pick out a bid. So it, it really does bring us back to that level. And for a lot of folks in Indiana, crop conditions maybe are looking pretty good right now. So there's an opportunity to maybe lock in a profit on uh, at least a portion of your crop production. Um, on the soybean side, let's take a look at that real quick. Uh, so, you know, we mentioned earlier, no big change in terms of acreage. So if you think about the soybean balance sheet, it really didn't change appreciably. Uh, we're still looking at a situation where the uh, carryover on soybeans is probably going to be very close to what USDA was projecting just a few weeks ago. That's about three and a half percent. So real no, no big change. Uh, the question mark on soybeans continues to be, you know, what's going to happen with domestic crush? What's going to happen with exports? Um, you know, I took a look at exports. If you look at exports through the third week of June, I think we're running at about 94 percent of what USDA's forecast is for this marketing year. So, you know, on the surface, that sounds pretty good. That means we only need to pick up about 6% over these last roughly uh, 10 weeks of the marketing year to hit the target that USDA has kind of set for exports. However, we're in that time frame when soybean exports really slow down. Um, so if you look at month of May, I think we picked up about 2% of the USDA's estimate um, in June, it looks like we also picked up probably about 2%. Uh, I think in the last couple of weeks since we did that mid-June webinar, we picked up about 1%. So it's going to be kind of tight as to whether or not we actually hit the target. I mean, that's a pretty good chance, actually, I think, but not guaranteed. Um, but still, very tight soybean supply situation. Tighter than the trade was expecting from the standpoint of what would happen in the 2021 marketing year. Um, and so it sets us up for a lot of volatility in soybeans. And again, uh, you know, Nathan, we talked about what could happen at the end of this marketing year for with respect to those old crop inventories. It could get kind of wild, right? If we, particularly if we see any production problems developing, and not just here in, in our part of the country, but obviously looking at the big acreage numbers in, in the northern part of uh, the plains and northern part of the Corn Belt. Um, so with that, let's take a look at the basis numbers just a bit. Yeah, so so uh, on the soybean side, you know, again, we saw a big positive uh, response in the futures market today. On the on the basis side, it's interesting because you know I mentioned you know corn basis has been you know relatively flat here over the last several weeks. We've seen a really steady and, and, and rather large decline in soybean basis. Uh, you know, over the last four to eight weeks, uh, you know, we've seen soybean basis down 50, 60 cents uh, from where it was maybe at the beginning of May. And so um, it's kind of interesting to kind of put that as the context for how you think about what's happening uh, in terms of cash bids for soybeans, uh, especially following the report today. And so you know, when you look at uh, cash bids after the report and the big kind of um, uh, rally in the futures market, you know, cash bids for soybeans um, maybe a, a little bit stronger, but I'm not sure that um, quite as strong as maybe what we saw um, on the corn side in terms of what's happening in the cash market, which is a little interesting relative to the information in the report. But um, like you mentioned, I think that, you know, when you put into context um, the information that we have as it relates to the stock situation, and you think about some of the stuff we've mentioned in the past as it relates to looking at comparable uh, years in terms of, you know, soybean stocks and, and what the potential is on, on late season 
basis opportunities. There certainly is some upside there. Uh, you know, but again, it's just the time of year when it really could go either way. And, you know, there's, there's, um, there's opportunities to maybe gamble a little bit on, on some of those uh, big pops and bases, but uh, there's also some downside risk if, if that's a strategy that you want to think about uh, using on in, any um, remaining inventories of old crop soybeans. Yeah, as you look at cash prices, I guess you and I both took a look at some of the bids around Indiana. We've got some prices at some locations in the high 14s. There's some locations that are actually above $15. Um, we're seeing some variability in basis across those individual locations, I think, which is kind of interesting. Um, the other interesting thing is, uh, as we look at some of those bids, uh, typically this time of year, end of June, beginning of July, you would generally expect to see soybean cash bids based off of August futures. Um, we found some locations that were actually using new crop futures to establish their basis, uh, establish their, their cash bids here in uh, late June and, and carrying into July. Um, that was a little surprising. That's something we don't see very often, right? Yeah, it definitely kind of threw me for a loop there. You know, as you think about uh, basis, right, it's cash price minus future price. And so when you go and look at some of these bids, um, it can get a little squirrely as you think about, you know, what is that basis value represent? Because it depends on what futures uh, contract they're comparing to. And typically, um, you know, the, the way that these um, uh, bids work is that typically they compare to the, the nearby, right? So the nearby futures contract for Soybeans would we, we're essentially into July, so that would be the August contract. Uh, but you know, I I saw several locations. This wasn't just a kind of one-off uh, deal. Several locations that were using that uh, new crop November soybeans futures contract to set their bids for even June and July um, delivery. Uh, and so you know, again, I'm not 100% sure exactly what's going on there, but it seems to be some sort of signal as to um, you know. Because again, the, the the reason that that matters is you know new crop soybean futures are trading at let's see um, a pretty big discount to what those nearby futures are trading at, right? So if uh, we've got July twenty one at fourteen forty, November twenty one's at thirteen ninety three, so you're looking about a fifty cent difference there in the futures price. Uh, and so you know what that signals is, is um, kind of important as you think about what those bids are uh, for those uh, summer deliveries, given that they're using that kind of new crop soybean futures contract, which is trading at a discounted price. I guess one thing it confirms, and we've been saying this for a while, but it really confirms that some of the merchandisers out there are telling you that what's going to happen to soybean prices is contingent on how this new crop develops. Right. They're, they're tying those bids directly to what new crop futures are as opposed to old crop, which is really interesting. It's something we don't see very often. In fact, I'd have to do some digging in the database to find the last time we saw this happen in, in late June or early July. I don't, I don't have a recollection of when that's taken place recently. Um, so clearly, uh, I, I think that's kind of a cautionary note in a way, right? When it, it tells yeah. you that you're really betting, if you choose to hang on to old crop soybean inventories at this point, you really are betting on what's gonna happen with respect to uh, new crop futures. Um, and that means what's going to take place with respect to weather and production uh, predictions for the rest of the summer and yield predictions. Um, and we, we keep talking about it. It's it's really a challenging year to get a grip on because we've got one part of the country that's got quite a few soybean acres. And Michael, I'll ask you to comment on that. Uh, quite a few soybean acres in that northern Corn Belt, kind of far eastern part of the Great Plains. 
that part of the country is still suffering from some adverse conditions with respect to dryness. And then here in the central Corn Belt, depending on where you're at, you've either got too much water or maybe just about the right amount. Um, and it's it's quite variable out there. So, Michael, you might comment just again on, on what, what's going on with the soybeans with respect to that acreage. Yeah, North, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Minnesota represent 20 million acres of soybeans. Uh, with the with the latest estimates, and and that's with a, a total total U.S. crop of 86.5 million acres, and so very substantial proportion of the soybeans are up in that North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota region, and so and so uh, one thing one thing that this report certainly did is 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 uh, move to the forefront the importance of weather uh, for the for this crop because with a, the stocks are so tight, like we've been talking about the last last few months, that any any shock in weather, positive or negative, is really going to make that soy price move. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting. So let's just take a look at uh, those new crops pricing opportunities that you like to, to take a look at, Nathan. Yeah, so, you know, again, thinking about what's happened, uh, obviously, over the last several weeks, and then obviously the big uh, re reaction that we saw from the market this afternoon in, in response to the report, you know, we made up a lot of ground uh, that we had lost uh, um, in terms of kind of new crop soybean pricing opportunities. So about two weeks ago, when we did our last webinar, we were looking at um, uh, new crop soybean futures of $13.85. Uh, this afternoon, soybean uh, futures, new crop soybean futures closed um, at $13.99. So, you know, about 15 cents higher than they were even uh, two weeks ago, which was kind of right after that last report is when we saw a lot of that negative reaction and negative movement uh, in the market. And so when you take that $13.99 futures price this afternoon minus uh, an expected basis in the fall for central Indiana of 30 cents under, that gives you a cash price of $13.69. And so again, you know, when you think about the new crop uh, soybean pricing opportunities that we've seen here over the last couple of months or so, that has fluctuated quite a bit as the futures markets have kind of gone up and down and in, in some pretty large swings. Um, that puts us back into a pretty respectable place, you know, not far off of the highs that we've seen. And so, again, same as corn, you know, I think for people that maybe thought they had missed uh, an opportunity uh, with kind of the negative movement we've seen in the market, we're right back up there, a very respectable price. Uh, and, and one that I think people have to really take another look at and think about, you know, the way the market moves, a dollar here, a dollar there, is seems like nothing these days. Uh, you know, you have to think about: is this something that we want to take a take a move on? At least, you know, on a, on a portion of our new crop. And I think that that's especially for people who have done nothing. I think that it'd be kind of prudent to to take that pretty seriously. Yeah, I mean, the the magnitude of the moves in, in short periods of time is, is quite amazing. I think um, if you were Rip Van Winkle and fell asleep for a couple of weeks, you'd think not much had happened. But the, the answer is, uh, you know, if you look at the chart, a lot happened the last two weeks on both the downside and then the recovery today. Um, so very interesting with respect to what could happen. I guess uh, uh, we need to take a little vote here. What do you guys think over the next uh, uh, 30 days? What's what's going to take place? What's, what's your... Uh, What's your guess as to what we might see? I think, uh, I guess I'll start this off since I posed the question, but you know, I, it, to me, it's we're, we're looking at a market that's gonna tread weather every day. Um, we're gonna be looking at weather forecast every day. Uh, we're gonna see market reactions to changes in precipitation amounts. 
And we're going to see, you know, both on the forecasted side and on what actually happens. Um, so it's, I think we're in for a period of volatility. Um, the only thing, well, and if we have good weather the rest of the, for example, the month of July, uh, we're probably going to see some weaker prices uh, relative to what we saw today. But um, it's going to be very, it's going to be volatile. I think I can predict that with, with a high degree of accuracy. So, uh, yeah, Michael, I, how about I, you? Oh, go ahead, Nathan. I was just say, I would add to that. I, I would echo your points. I think it's definitely going to be weather that's leading the way. I think that what, to, to add to your comment about volatility, the, the, the range and the amount of volatility, because of where we're at on a stocks to use point of view, I think that the volatility is just higher than it even normally would be, right? So normally this is a volatile time of year, but the, the, the range of those ups and downs, I think is even bigger. And I think that that's what people need to be paying attention to is we could see you know a lot higher highs and a lot lower lows in terms of those movements. We've already seen that. And I think that is what's gonna continue. Michael? I, I think volatility is going to be uh, is going to be uh, uh, quite large for both corn and soybeans, but I think particularly for soybeans, given that the acreage did not increase uh, from the March from the March perspective planning's report uh, to this this June June estimate, it, what, what, that shocked a lot of us. Uh, the fact that that acreage didn't increase with the tight stocks, with the uncertainty related to where the pork market is in China. Uh, you're, we're painting a picture of extremely volatile soybean prices, and so and so. I think producers really need to be watching uh, those new crop futures and, and look for opportunities uh, to, to get a decent price for soybeans. Yeah. So with the tight stock situation, this really puts a lot of pressure on yield for this this summer. Um, and we're not the critical period for yield uh, for soybeans. For, historically, that is more in the, the month of August. So it's going to be. You know, in the short run, the focus might be a little bit more on what's going on with corn with respect to yield prospects. Uh, but as we move through the month of July, we're going to see a, an emphasis on what takes place with respect to soybean yield prospects. So, well, it was an interesting report, a surprising report, friendly for those of us that are producing corn and soybeans, not so friendly if you're a consumer, uh, but nevertheless, a, a surprising report. So that kind of wraps up our discussion today on the podcast. Uh, we do have another webinar coming up. That's going to be on July 14th. So if you're interested in the webinar, you can just tap into that on the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture website, which is purdue.edu slash commercial ag. And with that, I'm going to wrap up today's podcast. I want to thank our participants today, both uh, Nathan Thompson and, and Michael Langemeyer for joining us today. And on behalf of the Center for Commercial Agriculture, I'm Jim Mintert.